welcome to the Thankful Homemaker Podcast, a podcast to be an encouragement and blessing to each other in the role God has called us to as women. I'm so thankful you stopped by, so grab yourself a coffee or tea and sit with me a bit as we talk about how God's Word impacts every area of our lives as Christian women. Hello, friend. I'm Marcy Farrell from ThankfulHomemaker.com, and I'm so glad to be with you today. My goal and my hope here always is to provide gospel-driven encouragement to homemakers. And my friend, if you haven't subscribed yet to the podcast or followed it, whether on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen in, be sure to do so, and that way you won't miss an episode. And if you get an extra moment and the podcast has been a blessing to you, please take a moment and leave a rating and review. I'd so greatly appreciate it. It helps others to find the podcast. So I'm so thankful for you. So today's episode is episode actually 100. I'm just noticing that as I'm looking at this. And it's titled, Showing True Biblical Love for Our Husbands. Because February seems to just have the reputation of being the month all about love, right? I always think, I think there's a Stephen Curtis Chapman song and it goes all about love, love, love. And that song comes to my mind when I say that. But Valentine's Day is just around the corner. And with all this on my mind too, I just wanted to share a topic with you that I love to talk about loving our husbands. So today we're going to look at together what does true biblical love for our husbands look like. So ladies, I'm going to take you back a little here and maybe not hopefully, but some of you I may be taking back and other views these this may be a little more current. So take a moment with me to remember back to the early days of marriage. You loved to see your husband's face, hear his voice, feel his touch, just to be near him, hold his hand, or delight in a long, sweet conversation, laughing together, taking long walks, love notes, sweet phone calls, and all the other gifts that let you know you were loved and cherished by each other. No one had to tell you to delight and cherish him. So let's fast forward. 10 years. I'm coming up on 35. Life happens. Days are busy. Many areas are calling for your time and attention. I get it. I'm there with you. There are children to care for. I have grandchildren to love, um, homes to clean, bills to pay, meals to cook, laundry to deal with, um, ministry work to be done. We are also a bit more aware of the faults of our husband. Um, He's probably a bit more aware of our faults, and hopefully we are aware of our own faults too. And my Elizabeth Elliot reminder of your husband married a sinner and you married a sinner. But the amazing and beautiful part of that is that God forgives sinners and helps us to be more like him. When we are in Christ, God uses our marriages to sanctify us and grow us more Christ-like. And one of those areas is growing us in love with God and with each other. So in Titus 2, 3-4, the older women are told to teach the younger women to love their husbands. The word for love in this verse, it's not agape. Agape is that self-sacrificing love we know about, but this is phileo in this verse. Phileo is a tender and affectionate kind of love. It emphasizes enjoyment and respect in a relationship. It's the love you would see between close friends. So we need to ask ourselves, does the love you show to your husband resemble that of a love between close friends? 
The Lord knew that we women were good at sacrificial love. We can be really good to do his laundry and cook his meals and raise his children, but the sad part is we can do that without even feeling tender affection for him. I can take care of all those tasks and be fuming on the inside. Sometimes, sadly, I'm almost more productive when I'm fuming, but we can get so busy serving our husbands that we don't enjoy them. And I also think it's interesting that it says for the older women to teach the younger women to love their husbands. It most likely is probably meaning Paul kind of knew there that it doesn't always come naturally to all of us. I personally, I am weaker in showing affectionate love, but I can easily sacrifice and serve. And as I shared earlier, even while being angry, but that is not what scripture calls us to. We're to love them with a tender and affectionate kind of love. And before we think that we're off the hook from showing agape love to our husbands, the self-sacrificing kind of love that gives to others, even if nothing is giving back, I want to remind us that in Mark 12, 31, the second and greatest commandment is to love our neighbor as ourselves. And our husbands, they are our closest neighbor. In John 13, verses 34 to 35, we're told, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So as a Christian, I'm commanded to love my husband just as I'm commanded to love others. Love in this verse that we just read in John 13, 34 and 35, their love, it's also agape love, and it's to be given where there is nothing given in return. It's a choice. I also want to share that this command in Titus 2, 3 does not come with a contingency clause. It doesn't say, um, love your husbands if they are godly men or if they're worthy of this kind of love or deserving of it. We're called to love them regardless of their response or actions. It is a true unconditional love. And I'm reminded that one of the best questions we can ask ourselves in regard to our marriages is how can I bring honor to the gospel as a wife? And one way is to show love to our husbands as God's word calls us to. If we are in Christ, we are equipped to do this. 1 John 4.19 reminds us we love because he first loved us. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, they say there, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Colossians 3, 12 through 14 shares what the Lord calls us to put on as believers. As a young believer, I first came across the put on, put off principle in reading The Excellent Wife. It's based on the principles in Ephesians chapter 4 regarding what bad habits we are to put off and what good habits we are to put on. This was a huge help to me in my walk as a new believer. And also, if you have the Excellent Wife book, it's in the back of the book in the appendix, but you can also, if you do a Google search, and I'll try to remember to link to it for Put On, Put Off Principle, Excellent Wife, or Martha Peace, put all that in a Google search, you'll find there's free PDFs out there of this study that you can print out online and do. I highly recommend it. If you didn't do it when you went through the book, you should do it. It's good. 
So we're called to put off the old self in Ephesians 4.22 and to put on the new self in Ephesians 4.24. We came to Christ with habits and ways of thinking that are difficult to break in our own strength, and they can cause a lot of issues in our marriages. So as Christians, I'm speaking to those of us who have repented of our sins and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. We've become new creations by the work of the Lord in us. At the moment of salvation, we are made new. But many times, my friend, the attitude in our homes doesn't match up to what we profess to believe. We can find ourselves being unloving, impatient, selfish, and angry with those that we love most, and this should not be. In our flesh, we don't put God and others first. So love is a fruit of the Spirit. We know this from Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And being in Christ, you possess the fruit of the Spirit. When our hearts are being ruled by the Spirit, we are only going to desire the very best for someone. Jesus is our perfect example of how love acts. Ephesians 5, 2 tells us, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I am not stating that we're going to be perfect because that isn't possible here on this earth. But our walk with the Lord should be continually growing and changing us more into the likeness of Christ. This is what we call progressive sanctification. We are continually being sanctified. Many times we don't see much growth because we don't take the time to replace the old bad habits with new good habits that reflect obedience to God's word and what he desires for us. It's really easy for us to fall back into our normal default mode. So one way to change our thinking is to continue to saturate our mind and thoughts with God's word. We know from God's word that what is inside our hearts is going to come out in our behavior and our responses. So a change in our behavior needs to start in the heart. God uses his word to bring about that heart transformation in us. See, every time we choose to replace a sinful desire or action with a biblical one, we're being renewed in our minds and our hearts. We know how love acts by reading 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7, and there are ways that we can practically live that out with God's help. We know love is patient, so we can speak to our husbands with a calm and loving voice. We know love is not arrogant, so we can respond in a respectful way and correct gently when needed. So you may be saying to yourself here, Marcy, am I being a hypocrite by doing something when I don't feel like it? So a quote I heard from Lou Priolo was such a helpful response to that comment. You need to write this down somewhere and remember this. He said, you are never being a hypocrite when you obey God's word. And quote there. And I know I've shared this in other in past episodes for certain different topics that it comes up. And I want to share again here on the flip side, when we do what we feel and we don't obey God's word, we're in sin. And sadly, we usually just react and we don't tend to seek or desire to change the sinful patterns that and the responses that we see in our lives. So as I bring this back to our marriages, what would our marriages look like if we responded to our husbands with love instead of impatience or anger? In 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, the Lord calls us to discipline ourselves for the sake of godliness. And when we obey God's word to do that, he helps us to supernaturally fulfill that calling. He's going to continue to change change us. That's a sorry little tongue twister there. Change us to be more like Jesus.
I encourage you to memorize 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Keep it posted near your kitchen sink or on your bathroom mirror. And let me read it to us as we kind of start digging in here. So if you're somewhere, you're sitting with your Bible open and you can listen to this next portion with your Bible open to this passage, please do. I'm reading 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, and I am using the ESV version. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Okay, so first off, the word for love here is agape. And we talked agape is a, it's a caring, it's a self-sacrificing commitment, which shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one loved. Jesus Christ and his sacrificial death on the cross is our perfect example of this kind of love. Each of these descriptions of love could have their own episode, but we're just going to go over them briefly today. I'm just sharing some practical ways that we can live this out in our relationship with our husbands. And honestly, as I went through it, it really works out for all our relationships. But this episode is on biblical love for our husbands, so I'm going to try to stay on that topic. But my hope is that you're going to spend some time in these verses and personalize them for your own marriage. Seek the Lord in prayer in areas you need, you know you need to change in, where you're sinning, areas where you're weak, that um, areas where you're not showing love to your husband. So we're going to start off with love is patient. So love never tires of waiting. And the Greek word comes from two words, meaning long-tempered here. So when I'm showing patience, I'm slow to anger. I endure wrongs against me without retaliating. I give the other person time to change and much room to make mistakes. I'm reminded in 2 Peter 3, 9 of the supreme example of patience is God himself. His patience and long-suffering allowed time for me to be saved. So love is kind. I can be friendly and generous and warm towards my husband. I can respond in kind even when or if his responses against me or towards me aren't kind. So in Christ, I'm equipped to do this by the power of the Spirit at work in my heart. And our homes are the place where every aspect aspect of love is lived out. True kindness, it's more than feelings. It is active in doing helpful self-sacrificial things for one another. Love does not envy. And in some translations, this word is translated as jealous. So the descriptions of love are now turning here to the negative. Love is not. So I think here areas where my husband excels are areas where I need to be glad to him and not feel in competition. Someone who truly loves another is never jealous or envious, but glad for their success. And even so, if that success is working against their own. Love does not boast. I heard it said it's impossible to build ourselves up without putting others down. Ouch. We don't need to flaunt our knowledge or abilities or accomplishments or whatever within our marriages. We need to keep humble before the Lord, reminding ourselves we have nothing to boast in except for Christ. Jesus didn't exalt himself, but he put the needs of others first. And 1 Corinthians chapter 1, towards the end, it reminds us, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Love is not arrogant. I need to learn to listen to my husband's opinion and remember, 
I don't always need to give an opinion back. I can just listen. And I need to remember not to be a know-it-all. Nobody likes a know-it-all. Arrogance is lack of respect for another person and that you're ignoring how he would feel and you assert your own decision. John MacArthur said of arrogant um, arrogance, specifically re- referring to this verse, he said, arrogance is big-headed, love is big-hearted. So I pray that we would be big-hearted towards our husbands. Okay, love is not rude. I'm reminded here of a favorite saying in our home, if you're right, but you're rude, then you're wrong. Okay, I don't, I've said this before. I don't know that it's biblical, but there's some, there's some truth to that. So do I find myself being sarcastic with my husband, cutting him down? Am I polite with him? Am I well-mannered to my husband? I'm well-mannered to outsiders. Am I well-mannered to my husband? William Barclay said on this text, he said, love does not behave gracelessly. So my friend, love does not act unbecomingly there. Next, we're talking about love does not insist on its own way, or it's translated sometimes, love does not seek its own. We are wired from the factory to want our own way. Selfishness is a pretty um, natural sin to all of us. Um, We think also that we know the right way or that our way is the only way. Love is seeking the interests of others. Think Philippians 2.4 there, putting their needs above our own. I'm called to serve my husband and my example is Christ. In Matthew 20, 28, it tells us Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. He's our example to follow in our marriages. Love is not irritable. So I need to confess any bitterness or anger or irritations I have towards my husband to the Lord and seek ways to do good to him. Biblical love does not easily take offense and it seeks the well-being of others. If I'm continually getting angry at him for things he says or does that irritate me, my professing love to him is not going to be very convincing if it's not being lived out in my actions and responses towards him. Love, it says, or resentful, all right? And some translations, our next part that we're working on, it says love does not take into account a wrong suffered. So love is not resentful or it does not take into account a wrong suffered. The word here for take into an account, it's an accounting term, and it means to calculate like like when you're putting an entry into a ledger. So if I'm keeping track here of every wrong done against me, it is not going to make for a very fruitful, loving marriage. Love doesn't keep score. Remember that, my ladies. Love doesn't keep score. This term is the same one used in the New Testament of God pardoning those who trust in Jesus for their salvation. In Romans 4, 8, it states, Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. So love keeps no record of wrongs because there is no place in our Christianity for holding a grudge. I have been greatly forgiven by God because of the work the Lord has done in my life. I can now forgive others of much lesser wrongs done against me than I have done towards God. So let's move on to love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. We don't rejoice in sin, okay? We don't do that. When we love God, what offends him will offend us. We grieve when others fall into sin. We grieve when we fall into sin and we don't gloat. If they repent... We rejoice. That is good. When we love someone, we desire God's best for them. So if there is a sin issue in my husband's life that needs attention, 
I need to go about addressing it by first removing the log from my own eye and checking my heart to make sure I desire to honor and glorify the Lord and that my motives aren't selfish, that they are pure in heart. We're going to be working through that beatitude, or we already did work that through that beatitude. We're on peacemakers next. And then prayerfully and lovingly remove the speck from his eye. Next is love rejoices at the truth. So honesty in all situations should always be the goal, even when the truth may be difficult to hear. Even when there are difficult things to discuss, it can still be done in love, reminding us again that love doesn't rejoice in sin. Love will always rejoice in truth, God's truth. Love appreciates good and truthful things in others. And when we see those things in our husband, we need to rejoice and encourage them. Love builds up and it doesn't tear down. Love bears all things. Love covers everything. And I utilized, as I'm working through these verses, I really utilized John MacArthur has a commentary on 1 Corinthians. And if you have this commentary in your Kindle, on your bookshelf, your husband has it, grab it, read through these verses in 1 Corinthians and take a peek, read through John MacArthur's commentary after you work through them. But he said of this particular verse, that love never protects sin, but it is anxious to protect the sinner. Remember that. We don't want to gossip or ridicule or tear down, belittle or embarrass our husbands. You don't need to be telling everybody your issues, okay? Love doesn't broadcast failures. It protects. We want to protect our husbands. And John MacArthur said here, love bears, spelled B-E-A-R-S, love bears all sin. It does not bear, B-A-R-E, okay? And I always feel the need here to make the statement that we're not talking about an abusive situation or some kind of illegal dealings going on. Please, please seek the proper authorities if needed. Seek help from your elders, your pastor, and your church. Do that. That is so important. We are talking about not tearing our husbands down. We want to protect him. We don't want to gossip. We know when we're gossiping. I don't think I need to tell us. We all know when we're falling into that sin. Proverbs 10, 12 says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. Next is love believes all things. So I desire to think the best about my husband. Love always grants a do-over. I love that. Who doesn't want a do-over? We all want a do-over, don't we? Love trusts. It gives credit for the best motives and it has confidence. It believes the best about another. If trust is broken, love desires to heal and restore. Love hopes all things. This is such a reminder that no situation is totally hopeless. Love will find a way to begin again. And John MacArthur stated this so beautifully here. He said on this particular, on this love hopes all things, he said, Love refuses to take failure as final. The rope of love's hope has no end. As long as there is life, love does not lose hope. When our hope becomes weak, we know our love has become weak. And the last part of our verse here, I know you're like, shoo, are we there yet? I know we're here now. We're here. We're here. Our last part of our verse here in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 says, love endures all things. Love never gives up on anyone or quits. Love will never stop loving. So as I work through these, I'm always reminded here of 1 Peter 4, 8, love covers a multitude of sins. When love abounds in a relationship, many small offenses and even some large ones are readily overlooked and forgotten. When we lack love in our marriages, ladies, 
every word and action will be viewed with suspicion and misunderstanding. So err on the side of love, my friend, in all our relationships. And one helpful tip I heard and practiced when we were memorizing this passage in church was to take the word love out and put Jesus in the place of love because Jesus is the ultimate example of what love is. So God has laid out in his word for us what love looks like. It should be my joy as a believer to obey his commands. I think they're 1 John 5, 3. When we have a desire to please the Lord in time, those old ways of thinking will have less of a stronghold on us. And over time, we're going to start to see right responses being more dominant and wrong ones showing up less and less. When we have sinful patterns in our lives that we've practiced for years, it's not a quick fix, so don't get discouraged, but continue to fight the good fight. God's grace works in and through us, but it is still man's responsibility to work with God at it. Take the time to recognize your sinful thinking. Pray and seek the Lord and ask Him what you should have been thinking. What thoughts or responses would be God-honoring? Look up verses on areas you struggle with. Memorize scripture. Talk to yourself and ask yourself again and again, what should I be thinking? And some final thoughts here on loving our husbands well. As we bring this to a close today, my reminder to us is to look to Christ. He is our most important relationship. Because if we're in a right relationship with Christ, if we're spending time with him in his word and in prayer, if we are desiring to grow in godliness and seeking to honor him in all things, then even as those storms come, and they will come, your life will be based on the solid foundation of Christ. And because of that, there will be a calmness and a trusting in your heart because of him. And I'm reminded when I share that, that the difference between a life that can withstand storms is not just because I'm known by Christ and have heard his words, but the reminder is that in addition to those truths which are good, I also believe in, trust in, and act on his teachings. So my friend, don't focus on your spouse's specs until you focus first on your planks. It's a humbling reminder of our own need for grace when we're reminded how much we've been forgiven. It helps us to be kinder and more gracious towards not just our spouses, but even others. We are a work in progress, and I am so thankful the Lord does not leave us where we are, but he continues to mold us more and more into the image of his son. And our marriages are a beautiful tool he uses to sanctify us, to expose our rough edges, and to continue to refine them. Embrace that and give thanks in and through all things, knowing that God is working all things for good to those who love him. Pray that the Lord would help you today to dwell on the good things you see in your husband. As you continue to be faithful in this area, you're going to begin to see your husband anew and realize there is so much to give thanks to the Lord for in the gift of your husband. Because Jesus is enough always, my friend. So head over to thankfulhomemaker.com for the full show notes um, at my Amazon store, which I have a link at my blog at the top. It says favorite books. I have a list of favorite books on marriage in it, and I'll link to that too in the show notes if you want to take a peek. Also, podcast again. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen and give it a rating or review. I also, I have a YouTube channel. I don't know if a lot of you know that, but I do. If you want to check that out, I'll try to remember to put a link, but you can find it if you search Thankful Homemaker and you put in YouTube. It's you'll It'll come up, I'm sure. So I am so thankful for you, my friend, and have a very blessed week. Mm-hmm.